Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and I am excited to be digging into the Book of Romans with you once again this Sunday. We are covering a very small portion today, but there's a lot of good stuff in here that I am thrilled to be able to share with you today. It's been very beneficial to me. Um, It'll be a little more technical than some previous installments, but it's still going to be the Word of God. I'm excited to dig into the Word of God with you today and see what He reveals to us in His Word. And so we will be reading Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And it says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, being the Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to to knowledge for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes so Romans 10 is part of a transitionary period here Romans um, 1 through 11 is very much the core doctrine of what Paul is telling the Romans. This is the gospel he would preach if he could come to Rome. And Romans 10 serves as a bridge or an appendix between Romans 9, which we've been going through for a couple weeks, and Romans 11, which makes this a cohesive statement on Israel and the church. Now, we talked a lot about how it depends on God, not on human exertion but on God who has mercy and we talk about Jacob I loved Esau I hated and predestination and all these things and it's easy to think that evangelism is pointless it's easy to get that understanding however that's something that we read into the text and Romans 10 helps us to understand this Romans 10 reiterates that the message of Christ is for all people Jew and Gentile alike And Romans 10 is kind of an appendix, but it also bridges us into Romans 11, which kind of completes the thought. But we'll get into Romans 11 a little later. But it's important to read it in context. Um, Romans 10, um, it helps to back up and read the verses that came before. One of the things about Romans is it's a letter. So there were not these chapter divisions when it was written. It was one body of text. And so while we have broken it into chapters for thematic purposes, it was written as a cohesive letter. 
And so it's helpful to see Romans 10, 1 through 4 by backing up to um, the last statement in Romans 9 when he quotes Isaiah. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So Isaiah was prophesying of Christ, that he would come, and when he came, he would be a rock that people would trip over, a rock of offense. But whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, that whoever believes in him will be saved. And that, that's important as we dig into Romans 10, as we'll see. But Romans 10.1 says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And Paul has a desire to see the Jews saved by Christ. Um, he previously called them his kindred according to the flesh. Uh, he talked in Romans 9 about the familial connection that he had to Israel. And that he has this deep yearning to see his family come to Christ. So much so that in Romans 9.3 he wrote, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul has this deep desire for them to be saved so much so that he would sacrifice his own salvation if it would, could, could secure that for his brethren. So the question is, why aren't they saved? Because there is a stone in Zion that they stumble over, a rock of offense. Romans 10.2 For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They had zeal. They had zealos theos. They had zeal of God, zeal for God. They have a zeal, a fury, a jealousy. Those are all translations of the word zealos and its derivatives. The point being, the Jews had a certain drive for the things of God. And Paul knew this well. He writes in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians is written when Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. And one of the things that he is writing to the church in Philippi about is that they cannot boast in the law. That they are to boast in Christ. And he gives them basically his resume as a Jew, as a former Pharisee. And in verses 4 through 6, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, that is, if anyone could have confidence in what they could do in the flesh, it would be me. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone th thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, and as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul recalls being zealous for God's law, but not a correct zeal. The Jews' zeal for God and his law were not founded on knowledge, as he says in verse 2 that they had zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And there's, there's some Greek that's very important here. The zeal for God did not derive from a right understanding of God. And Paul demonstrates this through the Greek words he uses. When we look at Romans, whenever we see that word according, it is, in Greek, it is kata, oftentimes. And such is the case here. 
according to knowledge, kata epignosis. And kata implies a top-down bestowing of things. So the knowledge of God that would bring right zeal is a top-down bestowing. It is something God bestows on people. When it says in Romans 1 that Christ was born of born of the flesh according to the scriptures that is that Christ came down it's the same concept that the right knowledge of God comes from God and the Jews had missed something about this so when they were zealous they had a zeal that was self-derived it was not a product of God in their lives and epignosis implies a location-based knowledge. Epic means place from location terms, and gnosis means to know. In short, the Jews had a misplaced and incorrect understanding of God. They did not understand fully what they were looking for. They had zeal for God, but it was misplaced. So it says in Romans 3, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking their, to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. That's, that's the problem right there. The Jews had a skewed understanding of God's righteousness and set out to be righteous themselves. They saw God's righteousness as something to be obtained rather than received back to philippians chapter 3 it says for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of god and glory in christ jesus and put no confidence in the flesh though i myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also if anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh i have more just just before he gave his resume paul was one of the most qualified jews of his day if anyone could have been made righteous through a ritualistic pursuit of the law, it was Paul. But he goes on to say, in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes from faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that may, by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We are saved as a product of faith, not moral behavior. I've counted all things as rubbish. And that word rubbish, the Greek word that we translate as rubbish was not a good one. It was very, that was an insulting word to use in the Greek context. And that is the value of Paul 
being a Pharisee, of being a Jew, of being circumcised on the eighth day, that ultimately this legal pursuit of things meant nothing. It says in Isaiah that our own righteous deeds are but filthy rags before God. Which raises the question about the place of God's law after the cross. If the law couldn't save, if the law did not make us truly righteous, then why was it given? And the New Testament writers had much to say about the law. Um, Paul says in Romans 7 that the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. He says in Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. James chapter 2 tells us that if we really fulfill the law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. 1 Peter chapter 1, this is therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And First John chapter 5 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. And I just threw a bunch of scripture at you, and I'm not trying to flex my muscles in any way. That is a drive-by of a bunch of texts on the law. I just gave you a, constel a constellation of texts from which you could gather that the law is good, that the law comes from God, and that it has a very particular purpose for the people of God. The Jews understood the law often to be a way of salvation. And that wasn't necessarily a right understanding, but Jesus corrects this in Matthew chapter 7. And he, it says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. 
the rituals never protected from defilement. Jesus is demonstrating that the law was given to point out sin that was already within us, that comes from the heart, not from food. The law functions, among other things, as a sort of moral compass. It illuminates what God has declared to be good and what he has called wicked. In a book comparing different views on the law, Dr. Greg L. Bonson writes, Since the law is a transcript of God's character, one's response to the law is one's response to God himself. So, of course, the law's moral prescriptions must be seen as good. The Jews missed the grander point of the law. It was not a, a means by which they could make themselves righteous. It was a description of God's nature and character. It pointed them to God's authority over his covenant people. And it foreshadowed the coming Redeemer, the truest fulfillment of the Mosaic Law. The coming Redeemer who would make all his people righteous. He would count them righteous. Not because they were righteous to begin with, but he would regard them as righteous because they are his. And Paul provides the ultimate scope of this law in verse 4. And he writes, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The idea that the law made us righteous is imploded by the existence of Christ's passion. The person and work of Christ, when he came into the world as a human being, that implodes the idea that the law can make us righteous, that it can make us good enough for God. For Christ's work of redemption declares his people righteous in the eyes of God. It declares that the law could not accomplish this, and therefore Christ had to do so. It says in Malachi chapter 3, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 2, But who may abide? The day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may unto the Lord offer an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and in former years. Malachi was promising the coming Christ. Christ had not come yet. He would not come for many centuries yet. But Malachi is proclaiming that he will come. But the, the self-righteous people will not stand because he is holier than the holiest people. That our own righteous deeds are but filthy rags. And he will purify the ungodly people. He will purify the sons of Levi. He will purify the people of God. He will purify us so that we can make offerings from a place of righteousness, that we can be considered righteous in his sight. The cross redeems us so that we, we may pursue God in righteousness. 
Our righteousness is but filthy rags, but Christ has redeemed us and therefore has enabled us to do what is pleasing to God from a regenerated heart, from a heart that is brand new. We went from being dead to being alive. And God purified his people through his Messiah so that they may offer worship unto God from a pure heart. It says in Psalm 24, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? One who has a clean heart, who has clean hands and a pure heart. The law cannot make that happen. But Christ revives our dead hearts and inclines us to what God has called good. Our changed mind is an act of worship out of thanks for what God has done in us through the Son. R.C. Sproul puts it this way, The law which itself reveals the pattern of good works should drive us to Christ. Christ is the point of the law. Christ is the goal of the law. Christ is the meaning of the law. So if you try to follow and obey the law, but avoid Christ, you have missed the whole point of the law. Often when we read the Bible, it is easy for us to think that we can be good. That we can, now, now that we are forgiven, that we can make ourselves righteous. That we can make ourselves doubly righteous. That we can earn the rest of our salvation. Now that Christ has done that initial work that we can do the rest of it ourselves. But it said in Romans 9 that it depends not on human will, but on God who has mercy. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves more presentable to God. Because we are but filthy rags. Everything we do in our natural state comes from a place of sin, depravity, and wickedness. That you can't hide that behind a disguise, by clothing yourselves in good deeds. So Christ came to redeem us, to bear our sins in his body, it says in 1 Peter. It says in Isaiah 53 that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our sins. That the punishment for our peace was on him and by our by his stripes we are healed we are to use the Hebrew terminology we are restored to a place of favor with God not because of anything we did not of good that I have shown but of Christ who makes me whole Christ did all the work that was necessary. Your redemption is accomplished. It is paid for. It is done. Christ did all the work that's necessary. Our task now is to follow him, is to abide in him. To recognize that it is the spirit that willed us to life. That gives us the power to do what is honoring to God. It is the son who atoned for sin who bore our sins in his body, was raised from the dead, and now intercedes for us in the heavenly places, and it is the Father to whom we are reconciled to, to whom we are now citizens in his kingdom. We, like the Jews, often think that our moral behavior gives us some advantage over others, or, or makes us good enough for God, but that is simply not the case. 
the fulfillment of the law is out of our reach. Christ fulfilled the law. That is, he made it full. He restored it. The law is good. The law is holy. The law is righteous. But it says in Romans 7, there is nothing good which dwells in me. That is, in the flesh. Therefore, if anything good is to be produced in my life, in your life, in anyone's life, it is the fruit of the Spirit through the combined redemptive work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Any goodness that we see in our lives is a direct result of the God who gives our lives purpose, meaning, and direction. Ecclesiastes closes by telling us that the fear of God and the keeping of his commands is the all of man. To put it another way, as scholars have, this is the way that men are made whole. Ultimately, the person and work of Christ, redeeming us, dying for sin, atoning for sin, that, that propitiation, the exchange of our sins for his righteousness enables us to do what makes us whole. That to put faith in God and to follow God is what makes man a whole. And that can only happen when we receive the imputed righteousness of Christ. Romans 1 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God the righteousness that God provides for wretched sinners such as I is revealed from faith meaning out of faith and to faith out of faith into faith and as it is written the just shall live by faith The law is good, and because the law is good, you must be born again. The only way you can be made right with God is through the sacrifice of his son. You cannot be good enough for God. You cannot earn righteousness. You can only receive it. God bless. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written. That is something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of his holy transformative word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4. 4.